Hello there, space fans. Robin here. Day one million of isolation. I am in Washington, D.C., and I have called my buddy, Brandon Katz, who is still up north. Brandon, you're in New Jersey right now? New York. New York. Okay. You are... What part of New York are you in? I am in Westchester, New York, so outside the city. So while I'm still in self-isolation for protection, it's not quite the lockdown that New York City is facing. I have slightly more freedom, thankfully. So, Brandon, you're home. Everyone is home. You are the entertainment reporter and film and television critic for The Observer. You've been there a couple years now? Yes, sir. Coming up on three years, actually. Wow. And I know that, Brandon, you are one of the journalists that are featured on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Yes, sir. Nice. They let anybody Uh, in these days. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. I trust Rotten Tomatoes and go to it. That's like, before I go see a film in theaters, I do look at the score, but I don't let the score determine if I'm going to see the movie. Is that the case with you? Yeah, I think that's a really good approach. Listen, Rotten Tomatoes is not the end-all, be-all, decider of quality. We are all all capable of independent thought, and there are literally hundreds of movies in Rotten Tomatoes with low scores that I think are phenomenal. Space Jam comes to mind. How does that have a bad score? I don't know. But well, it is a good indicator of what the general critical response was. And if you're, let's say you're home alone and, and it's 11 p.m., you're looking for a movie and you're, you're just bored, that's a good help to help navigate the endless choices. And that is exactly what we're all doing right now. And Brandon, I appreciate you calling into the show. And the reason I wanted to have you on, multiple reasons, I, I follow you religiously on Twitter. I read all your articles. You're my favorite entertainment reporter. So Very kind of you to say. I should also... Make clear the conflict of interest. I also used to work at The Observer. And for a very brief period of time, I worked in the entertainment division or part, whatever we call that. And I did write a couple of TV recaps and maybe one or two entertainment articles. But I quickly went over to space, which is what I did primarily at The Observer. And we sadly did not cross paths during that time. I would love that. No. Yeah. But Brandon, you don't work in the office that much. Or do you... Or before this crisis, did you work in the office all the time? Yeah, so I'm commuting from from Westchester into the city to the office somewhat regularly. And I do have some work from home days. You know, if there's a screening or an in-person interview or a special event, of course, I want to go out and attend that and get in the field. But luckily, I'm one of the fortunate ones in which the majority of my job I can still do while we're on this kind of global lockdown. I know other people are not as fortunate in that regard. Yeah, I know. It's it's tough. And obviously, to all our listeners out there, we thank you for joining us. And we hope you're staying safe and healthy. And and obviously, we, we sympathize with everyone out there who are who is home. And we hope we can provide some kind of entertainment. So Brandon and I are going to talk about probably the worst thing ever, Star Wars, <laughs> or the worst topic ever, I should say. Brandon, I see you always making comments on Twitter about talking about Star Wars, because it seems to be a point of contention among fans and and viewers. But hey, the first space movie that got brought up here was Space Jam, which is awesome. I love Space Jam. Brandon, they are making a sequel still, right? So they were supposed to be filming this while all this craziness has gone on, obviously not during the season with LeBron, but they they have planned shoots and development meetings. Now, I have no idea what's going to happen to that film now, now that everything has been halted and suspended. Your guess is as good as mine. But what I would assume is going to happen is that it will be delayed, but eventually they will come back to it because 
first of all, it's it's a huge brand name, especially for millennials. You know, the '90s babies yeah. really do have a special connection to that movie, as we discussed earlier on the show. And LeBron yeah. James yeah. is the perfect person to kind of carry on the torch from Michael Jordan. So I absolutely think it will eventually get made, and I honestly think it's going to make a pretty penny at the box office. Call me crazy. No, I think so too, and I have to agree with you. The first film was such a cultural phenomenon. It had Bill Murray in it. It had Michael Jordan in it. Now. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Space Jam was Michael Jordan's first acting role, maybe a first major acting role. LeBron actually has a movie or two under his belt already. LeBron, listen, I, I love Michael Jordan. I still think he's the best player of all time. But LeBron is a much better actor than, than yeah, MJ yeah. ever was. MJ gave it, yeah. gave it the good old college try, and he, and he sold it well yeah. enough. But I genuinely think LeBron can actually carry a scene, whether it be, you know, I, I know some people say he didn't have to do much besides play himself and train wreck. But you know what? He played it right. damn well. And that's more than we can say yeah. for for other athlete-turned-actors over the course of cinema. That's so true. So, Brandon, I was reading your recent article in The Observer. It was about how The Mandalorian is making a splash globally with the release of Disney that Disney Plus show overseas. A lot of our listeners are overseas, and they're probably watching The Mandalorian this week. If you could just give us the gist of your article, you kind of made a point to say that this was a good timing for The Mandalorian to be overseas to be released? Absolutely. It's, it's, that's a great question you asked too, because it's a kind of an underreported element of this whole coronavirus lockdown. And that is right. not only the rise in streaming, both in traffic and new signups, but also the ground that non-Netflix streamers can cover and make up mm -hmm. while we're all locked in and forced to find alternative entertainment methods. Now, to The Mandalorian, Disney has been slowly rolling out Disney Plus in inter international markets over the last week or so. India is up next, I believe, on April 3rd, I want to say. And oh, wow. And so The Mandalorian has very quickly become one of the most in-demand titles and overall TV titles over the last week. Now, Disney Plus obviously doesn't release any viewership statistics, but Parrot Analytics, which is a very well-respected data analysis firm, has a third-party kind of metric to really explain and cover demand for shows from people who are using digital methods for TV consumption. And long story short, like I said, The Mandalorian is a huge hit immediately, just as it was in the U.S., and it has emerged as the clear flagship series for Disney+, Plus and a real attention driver. So the streaming wars are, are going to heat up a little bit more now that Disney is going overseas into Netflix's main territories. That, that makes so much sense. I didn't even put two and two together that Netflix sort of has the global market in terms of streaming a little bit dominated already, and now Disney is coming in with this flagship show. Netflix has unmatched investments in over key overseas markets for years. No one can touch them. And so the fact that Disney Plus is already drawing attention in the early going of its international launch is definitely something to, to keep watch for because that's Netflix's biggest advantage in the streaming wars is their overseas investments and all the work and development they've done there. If Disney can cut into that. Well, oof, it's, it's going to get heated around here. I know. Every time I think Netflix is slowing down, they drop a new true crime thing that just becomes the biggest meme on the internet. I, every time I think Netflix is slowing down a little bit, 
they drop a Tiger King on us. And it's just or a writes again. Exactly. Yeah. The memes, <laughs> memes is free advertising. And you see it with Disney Plus too, baby Yoda memes. If you can yeah. tap into the kind of the, the cultural conversation, the zeitgeist, and basically get free advertising from hilarious, odd, super weird, crazy, eccentric memes and characters, then you know you're you're doing something right in terms of entertainment. Now, I wanted to go back to The Mandalorian because I loved it. I rewatched it probably. I watched every episode multiple times, and then it was over. I rewatched the whole thing. And I just can't help thinking that it was such a throwback to the original Star Wars. And it like evoked that old feeling for me, that sort of vintage Western Star Wars feeling. I also loved Rogue One, and it, that movie sort of gave me a little bit of that feeling too. But what was your take on The Mandalorian? And maybe from there we can jump into what's going on with Star Wars right now. Yeah, so I hate to disagree with the host, but it makes for some some good podcasting. I, I like yes. The Mandalorian. I don't want anyone to get confused because people on Twitter later will be like, you said this, yeah. I <laughs> like The Mandalorian, but for me as a viewer, I have always preferred serialized storytelling as opposed to the kind of procedural villain of the week types tale. Mm -hmm. And while I do understand and totally respect how this throwback feel does attract viewers and I understand why people like it, it's not necessarily Just, my yeah. cup of tea. I would have liked to seen, you know, John Carlo Esposito's big bad introduced earlier mm -hmm. and to have that have yeah. more carryover elements from episode to episode rather than these self-contained stories. But still, at the same time, it's amazing action. The production design is phenomenal. Knowing the behind-the-scenes technological work that Jon Favreau cooked up to bring this universe to life is unbelievable. And yes, of course, I'm going to be first in line to watch season two, but I don't necessarily think it is like a peak prestige drama that it might have been shooting for. Do you think the reason for that was because of the divisiveness over the recent films that people were kind of looking for a safety net in this show? You know, I don't actually, because specifically some of the people you, you see the communities online that really do hate the Disney era Star Wars films and you see their memes and their comments and their film Twitter rants about how the Mandalorian gets everything right that the movie yeah. don't, don't I right. wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, I would not agree with and I, and as much as I love Bill Burr, I think that his episode was probably my least favorite. And he's coming back for season two, so you have more of that to look forward to. You know, I hope they utilize him in a better way. I just thought that episode was exactly what you were saying. It was, I, I, I don't know, it, it felt disjointed from the rest of the season, and it felt very Monster of the Week, and it felt a little rushed. I don't know what it was about that episode. It felt very filler to me. A lot more action than the other episodes, and I don't know. It was just very off. I did like the Gungan reference. Yeah, like, thank you, Bill Burr, for the Gungan reference. It's like Appreciate that. Each episode has <laughs> elements that I like and elements that I don't. To your point, especially about that episode, I felt with the kind of self-contained story of the week format that it was a little bit of running in place until we got to the main meat and potatoes of what this right. show is really going to be, which I think it will be explored more so in season two had this not been a blockbuster star wars series i might have been a little bit harsher on it but the fact is from you know the opening jump and i'm like wow this is patented classic cool star wars tone and vibe with a little western infusion yeah i, I do like that so like i said I, I like the mandalorian but i definitely did not like it as much as the general public seems to have embraced it
Okay. I think that is a notion that many people share. I, I feel like the reaction to to the Mandalorian, a lot of it has to do with the memification of the item itself, the baby Yoda, the the mainstream pipeline of acceptance. Now, I want to go back to Rise of Skywalker and talk to you about it here because no one's going to be screaming at us while we talk about it like we would on Twitter. <laughs> I really loved it. I enjoyed it. Yes, it's not perfect. And I, there was a few things I could have really done without, like the kiss at the end. <laughs> but I really thought they did a great job. I thought Ray's character was actually pretty realized, in my opinion. I enjoyed the film. I loved the backdrop. I loved the epicness. What I don't like is the divisiveness in this community about it. But Brandon, what was your take on the film? And maybe after you give us your take, tell us where we're at with Star Wars. Because I know that Ryan Johnson had a thing in the works. I know the Game of Thrones showrunners got their thing canceled. Just give us the latest. Yeah, so just to start off in terms of Rise of Skywalker, and I've said this in writing, I've said this on Twitter, so people people can't accuse me of flip-flopping or anything. I, I very much enjoyed the swashbuckling nature of it because as, a, as an adventure space film, I think it absolutely succeeds. Right. There are entertaining action set pieces. There are some very, very funny elements and, and really good dialogue, and I do think that the Rey and Kylo dynamic is probably the strongest single element of the Disney-era Star Wars films. Overall, as a conclusion to the entire franchise, I, I do think it missed the mark. I, I think Palpatine was terribly handled, and it was an awful decision to include him in retrospect. Uh, I think, you know, undoing a lot of the bold steps that The Last Jedi took to kind of yeah. repivot the narrative in a new way for a new era and stop relying on kind of 40 years of history. I think to undo that, whether you, you liked The Last Jedi or not, is a bit of a retreat from narrative boldness, which I think is disappointing. And so right. ultimately, I have kind of waffled between giving the movie a, a C and a C plus, passing grade, you know, C's get degrees, as I was fond of saying in college, right. but not yeah. necessarily a stellar finale that pleased everybody and set up the next era of Star Wars. I, I, I think it missed a mark in that regard. Oh, it definitely did not do that. And I want to say in the context of the trilogy, I have to say as the, the entire trilogy, the entire thing misses the mark for me. And for one reason, they did not plan out the three films narrative in the beginning. And that's where we ended up getting this huge, you know, we had JJ's first film and then you had Ryan Johnson's second film, which took a lot of bold turns. And then they brought JJ Abrams back in to sort of readjust or fix. I don't know what Kathleen Kennedy was. If she told JJ Abrams, Hey, Fix everything Ryan did. Or did he say, or did she say, okay, JJ, finish the story as if the second movie didn't exist and you're just making a film, the sequel to the first movie. The whole trilogy feels disjointed. You know, is what I'm it, to it's say. funny you say that because Robin, you invited, you, you were gracious enough to invite me on your podcast and we must have exchanged, uh, I don't know, five to seven messages. And then there was a few emails in terms of discussing what we were going to talk about, what the lineup was. 
That was more planning than I think went into the Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And this is for an hour-long podcast. So I think right. Kathleen Kennedy is, is incredibly smart executive. I think she's one of the most accomplished producers of the last half century. And I think she has a damn good eye for talent and concept. But I do think there was some mishandling of the overarching Star Wars relaunch under Disney. And that's very disappointing. Right. So, Brandon, where are we now with everything? Because I, every, I feel like before this crisis and, you know, even during the release of Rise of Skywalker, there were so many different projects that we were hearing about this, you know, Ryan Johnson's trilogy, Kevin Feige's getting involved in a project. Like, where are we with all that? Yeah, and exactly reflecting that, even Bob Iger, former CEO of Disney, admitted on the record that they probably pumped too much big screen Star Wars content into the marketplace too quickly. And like yeah. you said, that encompassed dozens of, of projects. We were supposed to get a Ryan Johnson spinoff trilogy. We were supposed to get a new series of movies from the Game of Thrones showrunners. Kevin Feige is on board to produce at least one Star Wars movie in the future. Uh, BuzzFeed News reported last year that a Knights of the Old Republic film was in development, etc., etc. You know, there's been so much talk of what is going to happen in the future of Star Wars. And the truth is, right now, we're in a bit of a reset period. What we do know for sure is that Disney Plus will be the home for future Star Wars adventures. That includes season two of The Mandalorian. That includes the Rogue One prequel series that will follow Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor. And that will include, eventually, the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries, which personally, to me, is, is the number one most anticipated Star Wars project on the horizon. In terms of big screen, we have no idea. So the uh, Game of Thrones guys were supposed to start their new series in 2022. That project is no longer happening. And while that slate remains on the schedule, it is almost a guarantee that it will eventually be removed, probably after all this coronavirus stuff is in the rearview right. mirror. We don't know what the future big screen adventures hold for Star Wars. We have no idea. There is countless rumors and unconfirmed reports about a million different things, but we simply do not know. And that is why it has been, to me as a reporter, the number one Disney story that I have been trying to get more information on, that I've been following other really great reporters who are super plugged into Lucasfilm. But for now, we'll have to, I don't want to say settle because I very much enjoy a lot of the small screen content, but you know, the last season of the Clone Wars, we'll probably get Star Wars Rebels 2 eventually. That's going to be where the future, near future of Star Wars is centered. Well, thank you for that update because I have been lost in the fog of Star Wars news and not understanding where everyone stands. And it sounds like they just haven't made any real concrete decisions yet, and they're probably going to wait till this crisis is over. If I had to guess, though, Ryan Johnson's trilogy is probably off the board since he's already I said would, that he's already working on a sequel to Knives Out. Knives Out, right. Okay, yeah, that would make sense, and there's been very little talk about his trilogy, so that would make sense. So, speaking of confused canons, we, we could go right into Star Trek, because... This is something I've been following because I love Star Trek and I love Star Trek films. Now, I got super excited about a Tarantino Star Trek, but I didn't think it would happen. But I also was excited because I know Tarantino only makes X amount of movies in his career and he only makes a, a film every few years. And I was like, well, a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek would be amazing, but it probably won't happen. And of course, that fizzled out. <laughs> 
And then the Chris Pine trilogy. I forgot who I, which cast members I heard from, but they don't know anything about that. And then the last I heard, Noah Hawley. The, was he's he the showrunner from Fargo? And showrunner and creator for both Fargo and yeah. Legion. And Legion, right. So he has been put in charge of developing a next Star Trek film. But we're not entirely clear if it is part of that trilogy with Chris Pine, the J.J. Abrams trilogy, or is it something new? Have you heard anything? So obviously in public, both Paramount and Noah Hawley have been very coy and very careful about what they say about the future of the Star Trek franchise. But what they haven't said, which speaks volumes, is that this is definitely 100% a Star Trek 4 with the rebooted cast that includes you know, Zachary Quinto, Chris Pine, all those people. The fact that they haven't said that, the fact that they haven't even remotely hinted at that says a lot. Uh And the fact that Noah Hawley at every turn continues to say, I've got my own idea and kind of leaves it at that. I think that Uh gives us our answer personally. What form that that, that takes, I I have no idea. I will say in the interim, I, I like... I don't love, I'd like, though, what Star Trek is doing on the small screen on CBS All Access. I think Star Trek Discovery is a really kind of interesting mix of old-school old adventure sci-fi Star Trek and kind mm-hmm. of explosive, action-centric new forms of storytelling. And I think Star Trek Picard, Picard while it maybe had varied in quality from episode to episode, was a pretty cool reunion and look forward in which our, our stalwart captain is actually flawed and kind of stewing on his own regrets in life. So I think they're doing good things. I, I think they have a good head on their shoulders. And I think now with the Viacom CBS merger, you actually may see these worlds cross over in the future. That's always possible. But yeah, I would right. expect ultimately on the big screen a new direction. No Tarantino. Holly gets to do his own thing in his own corner of the universe. And while his his first feature directorial debut with Lucy in the Sky last year was not very good, I think he's shown enough on TV to to prove that he is a very high quality storyteller when he's given the opportunity. It's funny you bring up Lucy in the Sky because it was a, one of those films that in the space community we were all watching to see what how that film would turn out. I heard about its development a couple years before it came out. It originally started as more of an accurate retelling of the Lisa Nowak diaper gun situation, which, Brandon, have you heard about that? Yes, yes. I, I am aware yeah. of the, the yeah. crazy real-life yeah. basis, and I, I'm... Right. I, listen, I know everyone's got their own issues going on. I, I actually think I'm glad that he probably moved away from telling kind of a shot-for-shot remake of the true story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it, it could have gotten, it could have been really weird. And I don't know how the tone would have been with the film. But the space industry and space community didn't like the film at all. I, I still think Noah Hawley can make a really great Star Trek film. And I'm a big fan of Fargo. And I just, Star Trek... All you know, the nature of Star Trek always it, it's always like new eyes, you know, fresh perspective and a new take. And when I hear of a new artist taking on Star Trek, that prospect excites me, whether it's Tarantino or Noah Hawley or someone else. And Star Trek is like Romeo and Juliet. It's going to be remade from now until it'll be remade 20 years from now, 30 years from now. It's like Batman, you know, mm-hmm. and I just feel like you know what, if we're going to get a fresh take, let's get it and accept it. Picard, now I agree with you, Brandon, that the episode quality was inconsistent. 
there was definitely episodes I could not wait to be over with. <laughs> but I, I did like the finale. I enjoyed it. It was like the perfect amount of nostalgia. They redid some things from the films. You know, I don't want to give away a spoiler here, but there's a lot of nostalgia in it. And there's a couple of callbacks. There's a couple of new things, too, which I like. Overall, I did like the Picard show. I'm interested to see where they're going with that direction. And I'm excited for Discovery Season 3, I think. That show isn't perfect either, but I like some of the directions they're going in. I, I like the attitude, and I, I love the space action. That's why I'm here to watch. And CBS All Access has, has other Star Trek projects in development as well. There's supposed to be a spin-off series centered around Michelle Yeoh's character. There's Star Trek right. Lower Decks, which will kind of be a, a different take following, you know, not not exactly the... We're, we're always so used to following captains and top-tier executives. This, yeah. this will be kind of more of the grunt work and the red shirts. And I think there's a few mm-hmm. other projects in development that escape me at the moment. But you know, they're, they're really expanding the Star Trek world on the small screen. And as we shift back over to Noah Hawley and going to the big screen, I think one big key for Paramount is to just really rein it in. It can't be Star Wars. Star Trek Beyond was a $175 million movie. That's how much it costs. That's just not doable when Star Star Wars movies kind of superseded Star Trek once they returned, and and Star Trek became less of a blockbuster property. So as long as they go for Mm. a minimalistic view, they control the budget, and they try to tell just a good story that isn't necessarily all explosive action, I think they'll be in good hands. I'm excited. Like I said, I'm willing to give any Star Trek a try. And I I am looking forward to those new shows. But Brandon, what the hell else do they have on CBS All Access that's not Star Trek? Do they have anything on there? They've got the Twilight Zone that Jordan Peele executive produces. They've got got all of the old Star Trek TV shows. (laughs) They've got Cheers on there. And uh, oh, okay. you know, cheers. Listen, listen, yeah. for right now, we are actually, it actually started a few days ago, but they are offering a 30 day free trial, CBS All Access. And I promise I'm not a shill. If I, if I was a shill, you'd yeah. see me on Twitter with golden jet fees <laughs> and all that. But I do think there's enough <laughs> decent content on CBS All Access for you guys to take advantage of a free one month trial while you're locked in your houses yeah. anyway. So do with that with well, internet. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Brandon. So I think we went through some of the current news around space-related properties. And if I could just interject quickly for one second. Isn't nerdy space blockbuster movies the best? Whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars and you hate it or you love it, it's always an event and it's always exciting to just get caught up in the whole hoopla surrounding it. And it's like, oh, is it going to be good? I think the trailer looks good. I like this casting. And it comes out, we dissect and analyze and we come on great podcasts like this. I just think the whole thing of nerdy space movies is great. Yeah, and it, honestly, when it comes to space, I also love... we People would not love space exploration, I think, if it not were for the films that have depicted all the insane shit that we do up there. Or, you know, even films like 2001, A Space Odyssey. That film may have created a whole generation of explorers and engineers. And even a person like me, who works in more of the communications design side and the journalism side, Interstellar is one of the big reasons I looked to this community and industry to be a part of it. Films, Space films have a great impact. I think space fans and film fans, there's a huge crossover there. We're all looking for awe and inspiration and entertainment, especially. And I feel like there's a huge crossover. At Kennedy Space Center, there's always a huge debate. Which film is better, The Martian or Interstellar? Now, Brandon, I'm going to let you answer that since you have some legitimacy 
and determining the which film is better. <laughs> well, listen, let me start off by saying no one's opinion is wrong. If you like one more than the other, that's totally fine. Now, personally, The Martian, great book, snappy and humorous. Uh, the, the film, obviously, is a test of heart and, endur- and endurance, and I love that it's almost an educational movie while being, while being entertaining. You learn about the real-world science behind his survival. I don't necessarily yes. think it was best picture worthy, but I'm always in favor of giving legendary directors a sizable budget and a cast of talented performers. Now, Interstellar, right. though, Interstellar is a movie that I love more and more every single time I watch it, while still being able to acknowledge that perhaps its reach exceeds its grasp. It's a right. huge swing of ambition for Christopher Nolan, and very likely his most personal film, which is often the biggest criticism against him, that his films lack emotion, that they're built sanitized and detached, and that's clearly not the case here, as it's a love letter to his children. But there's still no right. doubt that Interstellar can get up its own backside in that third act. I've seen it a thousand times. I still can't quite explain it. But at the end yeah. of the day, I just love Interstellar as an environmental experience, which transports you literally and figuratively to a different galaxy, and it, which is so hugely ambitious and has so much on its mind. Whereas I think the Martian in that regard is a little bit its little brother. It doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. bad. It just means it, it doesn't have the same scope and ambition as Interstellar. And I, I also, you know, the, the sheer visual aesthetic that Nolan pulls off, whether it be traveling into the wormhole, whether it be looking at gargantuan and black holes, whether it be the the water planet or the ice planet, it is such a feat of environmental filmmaking and atmospheric aesthetic. I, I just think it's truly a phenomenal accomplishment, even if it doesn't fully tie together neatly. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way about the film. And even when it comes to that third act in the Tesseract, I've grown to accept that, um, and I do love it. But I still do not understand what the hell is going on there. It's just I do a good not. paradox. <laughs> yeah, like if we yeah. And, the, the thing, if we built the bookcase, but we weren't the yeah. ones who initially put the wormhole in our solar system, then how could we have done that and this? And then you just get lost and go cross-eyed. Honestly, you just got to experience it and not read too much. Exactly. Into it. And that's where I'm at. Where that's and. I want to go back to an earlier film that had the same impact that Interstellar did, and that is Robert Zemeckis' Contact with Jodie Foster. That film is one of the reasons I also went to work at Kennedy Space Center, because a significant amount of the film takes place there and was shot there, and I found that incredible. But the scale of that film was huge. Large special effects, huge space travel sequences and wormholes, and just the Robert Zemeckis touch of the film existing in our world, like Forrest Gump in a way, where he cuts in Kennedy and Nixon, and you know he uses CGI in ways that people didn't use CGI. Like I think he cut in Bill Clinton into that into yeah, contact, absolutely. which I love. Yeah, and that film inspired so many people to get into. SETI work and looking for extraterrestrial intelligence. And, you know, that's, that book is from the Carl Sagan text, Contact. And I feel like the film really does inspire people. And I love space films like that. And I think even the Ridley Scott space films that are not The Martian can do that also. And one example, which a lot of people will disagree, because a lot of people shit on this movie, but I love Prometheus. 
I think it's a good movie. I love the cast, but I do agree with people that the film could have, it kind of devolves into a horror film, which, you know, that's an alien film. And I think Ridley Scott's setup with Prometheus is that I feel like they marketed a different movie in a little bit, in a, in a, in a way. And I, when I went to see the movie, I was like, okay, the first half is kind of this inspiring search for like who created humans and they're going on another planet and that people start dying horrifically. <laughs> And I was like, uh, well, yeah, it's an alien film, but I gr- I've grown to love that film regardless. And Brandon, I wanted to get your take, since we were talking about Ridley Scott, on the Alien franchise. The Alien franchise is it's an interesting beast. The Prometheus, man, I, I was looking so, so looking forward to that movie. I think it was 2012 when it came out, something like that. Yeah. And, and I, I will say I agree that I loved the first half and I loved the questions yeah. it raised, but ultimately I fall into the disappointed category because it right. had no interest in ever really exploring those questions. No, it wanted no. to very quickly segue into its alien connections, and I think we saw that with the sequel, which again moves over all of the most interesting uh, questions about creation, about religion, Mm -hmm. about mythology, and about both the text and subtext of our cultural kind of mythos surrounding celestial and supernatural occurrences. And it goes right into the, oh, we're making xenomorphs. And and so, listen, there's nothing wrong with Ridley Scott wanting to add to the alien legacy. But I think he was on the cusp of something truly fascinating that still fit within that narrative while also branching off into new, bold directions that were extremely compelling because they were far deeper than, okay, haunted house in space. And I wish he had stayed the course in that. I wish David had gotten a little bit more of an explanation. I understand, again, he gets kind of the whole second film, but not really in the way that we anticipated. So Prometheus is gorgeous looking, and I'm not going to fault you. It is. It's a beautiful film. Truly beautiful. I'm not going to fault you. But I think that script feels to me like a jigsaw puzzle wrapped in a aluminum foil that was then put in the microwave that was then run over by my car in my parking lot. <laughs> oh, I hope Ridley doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but Ridley, I love you. You're a legend. Please don't hate me. He is a legend and he loves space apparently. Okay. So Brandon, to close out this podcast, I'm just going to ask you what your favorite space themed or space set thing is, whether it's TV or film right now, it doesn't even have to be right now. It could be anything that you've seen throughout your life. I'm going to just, I'm going to list off a handful of space related movies or space adjacent movies that I think are just total awesomeness. And we've talked about a few of them, interstellar, star Wars contact. I love that you mentioned that because it's truly one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Spaceballs. If that's not in everybody's category, get out. Independent. That's in it. Galaxy Quest, Apollo 13, Space Jam, Planet of the Apes, that's space adjacent, Total Recall, and Gravity. I think those are just, those hit every time you throw them up on TV, anytime you saw them on the big screen, they just continue to hit. Okay, now you brought up Independence Day, and I'm ashamed for not bringing up one of my favorite movies. And the reason for that, Brandon, is because I'm traumatized by the sequel. <laughs> I do not there like no it. Sequel. I hate don't it. know what you're talking about. There is no sequel. No sequel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but 
The first film was such a big part of my childhood. Like me and my parents went to see it in the theaters. It was just the coolest movie that ever came out when I was, I think it was 97, right? Or something like that. I was a kid and I loved it. And the sequel, I, and Brandon, when I saw the first trailer for the sequel, I was like, they fucked it up. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. And I, I when I, I follow Roland, is it Emmerich? Emmerich? I, I will be honest, um, I'm not 100% sure on the correct pronunciation, unfortunately. Let's say Emmerich. Roland Emmerich, the director of the first Independence Day in the sequel, he was doing a lot of social media from the set, and that's never a good sign, <laughs> in my opinion. That's like your that's like Vin Diesel on set taking selfies every five. I'm like, no, Vin Diesel, you need to work on that script. Okay. Because <laughs> um, not to knock Vin Diesel, I respect him too. Now, one random, you know, our 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 listeners are not just space fans. Brandon, what's a good movie you've seen in the last year that'll appeal to nerds? That's non-space. Oh, non-space. Now you're putting me on the spot. That's a hard one. I want to say that I'm watching Westworld right now, and I'm enjoying it. The season three. Season three. I'm okay. it. I know people aren't talking about it, but I wonder why. I think people watched the first two seasons of Westworld, and they were like, you know what? I have no idea what's going on. I'm not going to do <laughs> If fans are on the fence, they can check out my review of Westworld season three at Observer.com. <laughs> shameless plug, shameless plug. Yes. There you go. No, do one it. show that I, that I – actually, I'm going to name two shows because I, I've binged them both since this kind of lockdown has been enacted. Number one is on Netflix. It's called Kingdom. So it's the first Netflix original from South Korea. So it's, it's in South Korea. Oh. Got to watch with subtitles, which I, I'm hoping Parasite for once and, and for all, you know, yeah. put to bed that that's difficult because it's not. Yeah. Grow up, it's everybody. Know how to read and pay attention at the same time. But yeah. what Kingdom yeah. is, is basically it's set in kind of, medieval-ish times of South Korea. So, you know, there, there's there's obviously kingdoms and, like, a hierarchy and the whole feudal system. And it's actually a zombie drama, but in a period piece, which I've never really seen before. And it's so cool. Oh, my God. Yeah, so what I realized is the only thing cooler than watching chainsaws mow down zombies is watching swords and bow and arrows mow down zombies. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah I'm going to watch that immediately. And not, well, not only is that, you. but it's also kind of this this grandiose epic saga and so it, obviously it's a genre effort but it has these beautiful wide shots this lovely cinematography and and central characterizations that you feel are really real and and some of them you know are a little bit obvious i'm not saying it's it's going to win best tv show ever but it's absolutely worth watching right now it's just a very cool mix of genres and I'll say number two, which I'm catching up on. I just finished season one was Counterpart, which was the J.K. Simmons oh, stars yeah. drama that was canceled after two seasons. I love the concept. For those that don't know, essentially this mild manner kind of office worker basically discovers that there is a mirror universe where, where an alternate version of him exists. And they kind of mm -hmm. meet and have to help each other out in this kind of espionage conspiracy type spy thriller and it's very very cool great concept i'm three episodes in brandon so i will let you know what i think when i'm done with season one it's it's a really really cool show one thing i wanted to bring up before we we cut off here because you brought up espionage and we were talking about like parallel universes and we talked about chris nolan earlier are you excited for tenet because i can't freaking wait tenet and dune are probably my two most anticipated oh, blockbusters of the, of the oh, yeah. listen, I, I know that in recent years there's kind of been this division in terms of audiences in response to Christopher Nolan's filmography. 
I personally still mm-hmm. think he is a, a maestro behind the camera and one of the only people yeah. who's able to consistently sell you on big budget original concepts and original sci-fi, which is falling by the wayside in this era of franchises and pre-existing material. So I, I think supporting a, a movie like this helps support the freedom of cinema in a way. And I, I really enjoy what the guys put out. And I think Tenet looks to be another hugely ambitious swing that we still don't know much about, which is one of my favorite aspects of it. Yeah, I love the mystery surrounding his films, and he makes films for film lovers, and I'm a film lover, and I I will be the first one at a Christopher Nolan movie. And I appreciate you bringing up Parasite, because that is just, what a knockout film, and I'm so happy that one best picture, and what you know and what he said there just watch movies with subtitles there's lots of space films out there with subtitles that people haven't seen so you know get on top of that i think brandon and i share a love of cinema and television and i'm glad to have had you on the podcast brandon and i hope to have you back again soon hopefully when we get some star wars news absolutely i will come on i will break down star wars all day we can even do a a throwback once you finish counterpart we we can do anything me and you i'm down I know we can't go out and have a beer anymore, so not for any time soon. Hopefully, so. So I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you calling in, buddy. And how do people find you on Twitter? Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at great underscore Catsby. And you can find my writing and all my thoughts and musings of the entertainment industry at observer.com. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week.